Rare Disease and Medical Challenges podcast. The mission of our podcast is to support you, our listeners, and to create community as you confront the toughest challenges in life. All of us will experience health hardships. The real question is, how do we adapt? That's the focus of It Happened to Me. We help you overcome limitations and live a full and satisfying life. Drawing on their own health challenges, hosts Kathy Gillenhorn and Beth Glassman interview guests who share stories and research to help you succeed in the face of difficult health obstacles. It happened to me. I'm not alone, and neither are you. Welcome. Our guest today on It Happened to Me is Kim Callanan. Kim is the president and CEO of Compassion and Choices, where she's had a leadership role in realizing patient-directed end-of-life care for the past seven years. Kim is frequently invited to speak at conferences, testify before state legislatures, conduct policy briefings, and serve on committees as an expert on end-of-life care options. Today, our conversation won't focus on end-of-life care. It will focus on helping listeners become empowered consumers. Consumers who, when faced with a serious diagnosis or medical challenge, learn to ask the right questions and consider treatment options. Additionally, Kim will share important information about the option of palliative care and the benefits to patients in all stages of life. Welcome, Kim. Thanks so much for having me today, Catherine It's and a Beth. pleasure, Kim. It's our pleasure. So let's start with the basics, Kim. How should a patient prepare for a serious medical challenge or diagnosis? What are some good things to think about? So, um, so first of all, it is such, I mean, we just need to acknowledge just how difficult it is when a patient gets a um, serious diagnosis. It's almost numbing. And um, one of the most important things that a patient can do is identify a person that they trust, um, which is not always um, your closest person, because that person, like your, your loved one, your spouse, your partner, that person is often dealing with their own emotions around this. Um, so somebody who cares about you, loves you, can be objective, um, and is able to help to you to process the information that you're experiencing. That's one of the most important things that joins you with you on your visits. It doesn't mean you can't have your partner there with you. And in some cases, the partner is able to um, kind of maintain their composure and, and is that person. Um, but I think people assume that the partner is that person. And in fairness to the partner, they're dealing with their own emotions as well. And sometimes they can't separate out their emotions or process what they're hearing well enough to be that advocate for you. Um, so I would say the most important thing that you can do is figure out who's your person that's going to help you be your ears, your eyes, your advocate as you're going through what's going to be an extremely challenging time. So Kim, what you're saying is to anticipate the diagnosis, but what if you're in a doctor's office and you get a, a statement from a doctor, you need surgery or you have cancer and you weren't expecting it? 
what sort of questions yeah, can you great have question. at the ready to ask the physician? Yeah. So first of all, I would um, immediately ask the doctor if it would be okay for you to record the conversation, uh, because in all likelihood, hmm. you're not going to remember whatever the doctor very says Very good point. Yeah. Very, very good point. And most doctors now are okay with that. Um, you know, when I first started to say it, Dr. Draw, you can't record my conversation there, but now actually they see it as a protection of them too, because, you know, if you get into a legal situation um, in any way, they want the protection. And so most are okay with it at this point. Um, so the first thing is record the conversation. The second thing is to ask what we know is that doctors and patients, there was a study that was done that showed that the word treatable means entirely different things to doctors and patients. So when patients hear the word treatable, it's optimistic, it's positive, they assume the doctor is going to give them a treatment and they're going to return to normal, to their pre-disease state. But when doctors use the word treatable, they are simply meaning that there is some treatment that can be applied to this. But it doesn't mean that the treatment's gonna not have side effects, that it's not gonna result in you know, negative things, or that you're gonna re be returned to your pre-disease state. Um, and so the questions that you ask are to try to get at what exactly is going on. And this is the hardest part. The more willing you are to be prepared to hear bad news, the easier it will be for the doctor to deliver it. Because your doctor is in this position where they have gone to school to cure and to heal. And the expectation that most people have is that the doctor is going to be able to fix me. And it's really, really difficult for a doctor to deliver bad news. Um, and so what we hear from doctors is if you give us permission to give you the full picture, we're more inclined to share honest and authentic information from you. So the kinds of questions that you might need to ask, that you might want to ask are, um, can you tell me the likelihood that this treatment is going to return me to my pre-disease state? Um, what do you, what are the side effects that the treatment itself will happen will have? What happens if I don't treat this disease? What is the likelihood uh, if I do treat this disease that I'm going to live in for how long? What's the likelihood if I do treat this that um, I'm going to experience other symptoms? People like me who have this disease, what's the likelihood that we're going to live? You know, like you want to get at those kinds of questions, um, one of the most important um, decisions to make is actually whether you take a treatment route that delays the progression of your disease and focuses on the quality of time that you have left or whether or not you go for an aggressive treatment protocol that is designed to try to uh, cure or um, eliminate the disease, but where the likelihood of, of that success may be very low, and you could result in very debilitating symptoms along the way. The end result could be that you live the exact same amount of time, but one way um, you're living, you know, a very um, 
a life that allows you to enjoy much and the other way you're actually um, experiencing a lot of symptoms from your treatment that really take away from the quality of life that you Kim, have. I have never heard a statement that was more responsive to a question in my life. And I suggest <laughs> oh. that Kathy and I, after this episode, we are going to listen to this recording and make a list to put on our show notes. These, these questions oh. that you have posed are sensational. They get right to the point. And I think everyone should have this in their wallet. I, I can't imagine how you cannot be so prepared. But Kim, can I tell you, it's happened to me twice. I went into a doctor's yeah. office. I was told I needed surgery. Not only was I not prepared, I didn't want to hear it. I know in the back of my mind, the doctor explained the procedure. I thanked him very much. I walked out of the office. I didn't make the appointment because I was sure I didn't need the procedure. <laughs> and it took me three days. I'm so familiar. It took me three days to come to the conclusion that I needed the surgery. And when I called back, the surgical schedule was filled for at least a month. I, you talk about deer in headlights. Kim, I have to tell you, it's happened to me twice. I've done it twice where I've walked out of the office. I couldn't hear. So we now have a group of questions that you have now given to us. How about a return visit with the person that you're suggesting? Maybe not a, a loved one, maybe a best friend um, is what you're suggesting. Choose wisely. How about a return visit? How do you think our doctors are receptive to that? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. Absolutely. Um, it, and I think it depends on um, the, you know, the level of seriousness of what you're facing. Um, you always want to get a second opinion if um, what you're talking about is something that is life altering. Um, so it is um, best practice for you to get a second opinion, not from the same doctor, from, but How from a many second opinions do you suggest people get in this type of situation? One or I multiple? Think really, I think it really depends on um, how serious what you're facing is um, and how the level of confidence that you have. It's always good to get at least one other opinion when you're talking about something that is um, you know, that serious, um, you know, getting a, another, a third opinion, is that a bad thing? Probably not, but it depends on the length of time, like how quick a decision needs to be made. Um, so I don't think that there um, is one answer for all situations, um, but the more severe what you're facing is, the more voices you run around the table advising you. Um, and that's what's important to remember. And what's important is it's about um, you having the points of input that you need in order to be able to chart a path forward that you're comfortable with. And so if that requires a third opinion, you should get a third opinion. But I would say for something that's serious, having a second it's, opinion is certainly... So I was talking about idea. actually going back to the first doctor with the friend or your designated person before even getting yeah. the second opinion because... Uh, you may not have been uh, ready with your recording. 
you don't remember what the doctor said to you, that maybe a return visit before the second opinion uh, might be the way to go. Your thoughts? Um, sure, I think you can try it um, I, and ask you know the doctor what they think. Um, there's no reason to not to, except if there's an insurance issue around uh -huh, I see. bill for that. I that see. Only, I'm not sure, um, but um, but um, you know certainly um, you want to have the information that you need in order to be able to make a decision. And I can't imagine that if you call a doctor up and say feel like I need to come back and understand better what you were saying, that there's not something they can do. So, that. you know, you always hear everybody says, don't research the disease or the diagnosis or the illness online. Where do you stand on that? Um, so I think it really depends uh, a lot on the person. I think what I hear people saying more is don't try right. to diagnose right. yourself right. online. So, you know, and, and I will say I, I am guilty of this myself. I, you know, I'm not feeling yes. well. I Google it. By the end of the Google, yes. I have a brain tumor. <laughs> and, yes. you know, I um, and my husband is, you know, the first one to say, um, you know, your internet degree is likely not helping you. So I do think, and, and there's studies that show that most of the online, those tools that are online to diagnose you, most of those um, give you faulty information. So, you know, I, I do think that the sort of trying to come up with your disease online is not helpful. But when you have a particular um, condition that has been diagnosed for you, I don't necessarily think it's bad for you to do some research to understand what's going on, what, you know, what's going on with you. That said, it's really important that you're able to separate out what is the general from what does it mean for me? And so I guess the question would be to understand yourself as a person. Um, so the way I use this when I do it for myself is I go and I research the disease and I read things like, you know, 10% of people, you know, do, um, you know, don't survive this or, or whatever the, the facts are. And I bring the facts back to the page and say, why would I be different mm -hmm. than this? Or you know, and I, I've done this for my parents, you know, like, so my parents have these health conditions and this disease, like, you know, this is what their prognosis is, you know, like, how would this be different? Tell me what about this is right, what's not right. So you don't want to diminish your doctor's expertise or their ability to look at your situation. You're, we're not, the internet is not a doctor. But if you're using the information in order to become an empowered consumer so that you're not surprised by what, um, what the progression of a disease is, I, I think it can be beneficial and helpful. But make sure you're using reliable sources. I always go to like the National Institute of Health's websites. They've got great information about different disease that's science-based and rigorous. You know, you want to avoid... Um, going to a pharmaceutical company's website where they're promoting a particular right. drug versus general information about this. This is such a bingo for me. I um, was diagnosed with a very rare condition that I'd never heard of. And um, so it wasn't a matter of diagnosis, but I came home and started researching Wolfram syndrome, which is genetic and rare and didn't know what to expect. Well, I found the specialist that I go to 
through his work with NIH that was his paper that was published at NIH about the work that he does. And I felt so empowered that I was able to find that. And while I couldn't do anything about the Wolfram syndrome, I felt like I could do something as an empowered consumer, you know, go to St. Louis and get questions answered to the extent that they could be. And I can't thank you enough for bringing that up. I think it's so helpful and so important to look at it that way. Well, that's sort of... Yeah. And that's a really great example, Kathy, because the internet can be a powerful tool if you're using it. Well, that, right. really that was does, the lawyer in me. That really <laughs> dovetails into a question, what do you look for in picking a healthcare provider? Yeah. So... Um, one of the things that's really important is you want a healthcare provider whose values align with you and or who is willing to see your values as as paramount as a as an important part of the the um the way your 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 disease is treated um and i'll give some examples of that so um and cancer is the easiest diagnosis so i'll use that as an example because it's the one most people are familiar with uh, but it, it goes for any diagnosis really um, there's almost always multiple paths that a person can take around um, what kind of treatment um, i want to get for this and the question is um, how does that treatment plan align with your values and so a doctor's job is to be able to explain to you what's the what's wrong with you and then what are the available treatment options to you and what's the likely progression of a disease based on those treatment options what we often see with some doctors and within medicine is we see that um, the doctors so quickly go to um, cure um, that they're not sharing the full breadth of options that are available. And so for me, the most important question for me is that I identify a doctor who cares about my values and what's important to me. And um, people talk about it as quality of life versus quantity of life, but I feel like the juxtaposition between the two marks it up because I want to live a really, really long time. So I don't really want to choose quality of life over quantity of life. Like I want to live till my grandkids, which aren't even born yet and aren't even in the, you know, the view are around. Um, but what that fails to recognize is that um, in choosing quality of life, you sometimes are choosing more quantity of life too and, and a better way of living. And so you want to ask your doctor questions like, um, if, I want, um, if I want to slow down the progression of my disease versus curing it, how do you feel about that? Um, or um, will you be comfortable sharing with me all available treatments, even the likelihood of what happens if I choose not to treat at all or only to treat the symptoms. And you want a doctor who's going to be willing to be forthright with all information so that you can make the decision, even if it's different from that doctor's decision. So doctor you're really uh, advocating for patients to be their own best advocate and to really, when Absolutely. dealing with the healthcare provider, with dealing with the diagnosis, to really take all the healthcare providers as incredible tools, 
but that you have to be kind of the leader of the ship. Yep, that's exactly right. And I always talk about it as the healthcare provider is the expert on medicine, but you are the expert on you. You're the expert on your values, your priorities, what matters to you. And those two things need to be working together. Um, there's no doctor that can ever tell you what is important to you. And so those have to be working hand in hand. And that partnership is essential for you to get the kind of Absolutely. And I find, at least personally, that having a supportive and collaborative healthcare team is just key to managing a, a medical condition and um, any kind of medical challenge. And how can people foster closer relationships between their various healthcare providers? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so, one of the things is I do think it's important that. Um, there is a respect of the doctor's expertise. And so I think so you asked the question about internet research. I think one of the things that I hear from providers that um, causes the most frustration with the provider is when someone comes in and says, on the internet I read and it said that I have this disease. And you know, like right away they're like, why did I go through six years of medical <laughs> school if you're gonna diagnose yourself on the internet? So I do think that there is, um, there needs to be a respect of their um, specialist specialty um, as you're advocating for yourself. And if you can separate out my values from their medical expertise as you're doing the advocacy, that will bridge a um, a more collaborative relationship. So, for example, if you say, "What's really important to me right now?" I know that I have cancer um, and you know I would love to be able to to live for you know as long as I possibly can but what's really important to me right now is that my grandbaby is going to be born in four months and I really want the experience of holding my grandbaby before um, they before I die like if you're clear about your values and if um, you're able to communicate that that is super helpful so that the doctor is able to come up with a progress like a a, um, a treatment plan for you that takes those values into account um, versus you know uh, just sort of going straight down the path of we're on a curative treatment plan Kim, this is such a nuanced it. conversation i am learning so much by listening to you today i i have to say um so where does a mental health uh, advisor come into play in this discussion? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I should have said that early on. Wonderful question, Beth. I think right after someone gets a serious diagnosis, they should also right away um, uh, see if they can schedule um, an ongoing, you know, find if you don't have one already, an ongoing therapist to talk with. Um, if you're dealing with a serious diagnosis that is life-changing in some way, you need the support of somebody else. And I know there are people where mental health therapists aren't the right person for them. And, you know, I, I don't want to judge, but I would say give it a try. Um, see whether or not it can help you. If it really can't, that's your decision. But for anyone, for most people, having that person next to them who is able to walk with them through this and help them, you know, stay clear. And you're going to have a lot of emotions. You're going to go from anger to upset to concern to fear. And as you're going through all of those emotions, 
you need somebody that you trust that is independent, not your spouse, because that's a lot to put on your spouse or your partner or whoever your your closest people are in your and, life. And basically, so, yeah, this that, is situational. Really point. It is uh, a crisis. It's a crisis in your life, this medical challenge that you are facing. And the therapists, there are therapists who deal with a medical challenge situation, correct? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And how about, how does palliative care come into this equation? That is a great question. So palliative care is um, kind of, I would say the unsung hero in our healthcare system. Hmm. Um, it's a relatively new field. It's um, got a couple of decades behind it, so it hasn't been around forever. Um, but palliative care is a field of medicine that has grown um, that supports people on the onset of a serious diagnosis to address their symptoms and their pain, but not the disease itself. Um, I think a lot of people confuse yes. palliative care with hospice care because you can get palliative care, or you do get palliative care when you're on hospice care, but you can also get palliative care at the onset of a serious diagnosis. And so I think the two are often viewed as interchangeable. With palliative care at the onset of a serious diagnosis, you do not need to forego treatments. So you continue to see your oncologist or your heart doctor or whatever your disease is that is um, the serious disease, you continue to see that specialist to cure or delay the ongoingness of that disease. But at the same time, you see a palliative care team and that palliative care team's job is to improve your quality of life and to help to address the symptoms, the pain, the suffering that you're experiencing as a result of that disease. Um, and so it can be transformational for somebody, but unfortunately, hmm. most people, many people don't realize that palliative care exists at the onset of a serious diagnosis. And even doctors are not as familiar with it since it's, I mean, it's a couple decades old, so it's not super new, but how you pay for it is new. It's not available everywhere. And so um, oftentimes doctors aren't even making the referral. So it's something that patients now, so more specifically, what are some examples of palliative care helping with medically challenging diagnoses or during one's life? And how does it work sure. exactly like nuts and bolts? Yeah. So um, you uh, so say you're seeing a doctor who uh, and it all depends on your health insurance and where you live. So let me be very clear that unlike hospice care, there's not a palliative care benefit where you're going to experience it in the same way. But this isn't a place where you should Google and find palliative care um, if your doctors aren't helping you or call us and we'll see if we can help you. Um, but um, you're in an area, mo many hospitals in the urban areas will have palliative care departments. So if you're seeing an oncologist, I would start by asking your oncologist, um, would I be eligible for palliative care and see what the oncologist says. Um, if you have a serious cancer, you should be eligible. So, you know, they're not, you're not going to be eligible. What is, in, like, back to the basics, what is the definition of palliative care and why do you have to be eligible for it? Uh, so eligible might not even be. So a palliative care doctor has to um, be willing to see you. Palliative care is simply 
care that goes alongside a serious diagnosis where it's treating your pain and symptoms. So you get a cancer diagnosis and you go to your oncologist and your oncologist is gonna treat your cancer. If you go to a palliative care doctor, they're gonna sit with you and they're gonna say, how are you feeling? And you're gonna say, oh my God, every time I get my chemotherapy, I'm exhausted. I um, wanna throw up or I am throwing up. I can't get out of bed for a week. And your palliative care doctor is gonna say, okay, let's try these things. Ice chips, here's some medication I'm gonna give you that should work fine with your cancer diagnosis, but it's gonna treat your nausea, your vomiting, your, you know, the pain that you're experiencing from this. So they're solely focused on how are you feeling? What's your quality of life? And your cancer doctor is solely focused on treat. how am I gonna treat this cancer? They're two different doctors, they're two different care teams. Your palliative care doctor is like a champion in that they try to also kind of connect the various different cares that you have going on. So if you have diabetes and heart disease and you know, you're seeing different doctors for different things and they're all focused on their disease, the palliative care doctor will try to look across all of your different diagnoses and see whether or not there's something that can be done. Is one medication impacting another medication? Huh. So there you're like champion. This sounds like such an incredible resource. I still have trouble with the concept that there might be anything preventing you from getting it if you need it. And is it? I, yeah. Is there a threshold of pain that you need to be um, prepared to have to endure before you are ready to no, go? No, I want to say, unfortunately, it's a great inequity in our healthcare system where it really comes down to: um, Are the doctors you're seeing aware of it enough to make a referral for you without you asking? Um, in the area that you're in, has the hospital or the health system embraced palliative care and they are providing it? Because there's no payment mechanism right now, federally, where if you want a palliative care consult, this is everybody is guaranteed it the way you are with huh. hospice care. And so we do, there is a growing, there's a great uh, organization, the Center to Advance Palliative Care, focuses on the physician side. There's also a website, getpalliativecare.com. We have a bunch of information on compassionandchoices.org. So, so palliative care, um, but it is available in most major hospitals now have palliative care units. Um, and so if you have any serious diagnosis where you're experiencing a lot of pain and symptoms, either from the disease from the treatment. or from, from the treatment, you should be able to, if they have it in your area, get a palliative care consult. And you saw palliative care really come into the forefront during the pandemic. So when COVID hit, and all of a sudden we didn't have a way early on, especially, but it continued um, to treat COVID. All of a sudden the palliative care field was out, you know, in the forefront and doctors were, be were because they didn't have anything they could do. They were like calling the palliative care teams in. And there became this like great awareness that palliative care wasn't, you know, being used as much. So in some ways, COVID actually improved the understanding of palliative care within wow. the healthcare field and has resulted in an increased presence, but still there's just not a, there's not a right 
the right structure in place um, and enough understanding of palliative care in place, both among providers and among consumers. Wow. Yeah, what a hidden gem. I mean, it just sounds like it could do so much uh, positive um, for quality of life seems to be something that it can really improve. Um, yeah. That's exactly so, right. Wow. Wonderful. Oh, Kim, thank you. Thank you for being a guest on It Happened to Me today, helping our listeners develop a toolkit of questions and approaches to challenging and unexpected diagnoses. It's invaluable. And I thank you so much. You have truly helped us all discover ways to become empowered consumers and more thoughtful in our approach. And your resources um, will be posted. Your questions will be posted on our website. And thank you. It's just been a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you, Beth. It's a delight to have been here. Thank you for listening to this episode of It Happened to Me. We encourage you to learn more at ithappentomepod.com. That's ithappentomepod.com. Please use the contact forum on our website to submit your guest suggestions, comments, questions, ideas, and feedback for the show. You can also email us directly at ithappentomepod at gmail.com. Again, that's ithappentomepod at gmail.com. We would also really appreciate it if you can leave us a five-star rating review on your podcast app, probably Apple or Spotify. This helps others in the rare disease and medical challenges community find us. It Happened to Me is created and hosted by Kathy Gillenhorn and Beth Glassman. Steve Polsenbach is our media engineer and co-producer. Myself, Kier Deneen from DNA Today, is our marketing lead and co-producer. Ashlyn Anokian is our graphic designer. And remember, it happened to me. I'm not alone and neither are you.